Welcome to the refreshing word of Calvary Baptist Church, Accra. And now, the message. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this blessed day. This is the day you have made, and we are glad to be part of this day. May the reading and the exposition of your word bring us joy, courage, and above all, the determination to live for you as we surrender our hearts, our minds, and our will to you. In Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name, amen. I bring you greetings from Calvary Baptist Church and the Ghana Baptist Convention. This is Pastor Fred Digby. I trust you are well. From the beginning of the year, we've been looking at Luke, the Gospel of Luke. It is very good for you as a believer to study Jesus comprehensively. Take a book and know that you have read it, you have studied it, and you know what it is about. Because God's word is so rich and so powerful that he will minister to you as you read his word. The Holy Spirit will use it to speak to you. So you can be a student of the Bible and know how to study it. Some of these things we do, uh, we try to go through the book to help you have a systematic way of looking and studying our Lord Jesus. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at Luke chapter 7. And it is particularly important we look at this chapter as we love Jesus. Christians are supposed to be like Jesus. The reason why God saved us is to love him and to worship him and to be like Jesus. He should be our firstborn brother. His spirit is to make us like Jesus. And how do you become like somebody when you don't know about that person? When you don't study that person's lifestyle? When you don't know what he likes in order to do it or to do them? What he doesn't like and to avoid them? Let me suggest to you, you cannot be a true disciple, a student of anybody, if you do not read, know, study, and try to emulate copy the best parts of that person. So in Luke 7, we are shown the compassion of Jesus in action. Somebody has defined compassion as your pain in my heart. The Lord Jesus knows us, and he came to show us his compassion. And when Christians are celebrating Easter, the weeks before, called the Lent, we just remember the passion of Jesus. And in this chapter, we see a lot of how Jesus showed so much care and compassion that we can be like him. We can choose to be like him. Look, we read Luke 7, 1 to 10 about a centurion, a hardcore soldier who cared so much about a child, a servant who was sick. And he went to Jesus through others and said, come and heal my child. Jesus saw it. And was touched. Jesus responded to this man because of his faith in Christ. So we see one response to Christ. Christ responds to faith. But soon after that, Luke reports something else. A widow whose only child had died. And she was so miserable. They were going to bury the child. And Jesus broke every custom in those days to touch this woman, to heal her child. Because Jesus was responding to her despair, to her confusion, to her hopelessness. 
He cares. He's a compassionate Lord. The third one we see is that Jesus can even respond to doubt. When we doubt him, when our minds are working over time, when the things around us in the world are confusing us, when corona knocks you here, sickness knocks you here, disease and poverty knock you here, politics confuses you here and there, where do you turn? That was John the Baptist. He tried to live for God, to preach his word. But the world is not our home. And sometimes things come, things happen that puzzle us. But the remarkable thing we see about John the Baptist is that he did not go into reverse gear. Like some say, I don't understand what is going on. Jesus doesn't like me. God doesn't like me. I'm quarreling with God. No. But John the Baptist sent Jesus. Ask him, are you the one? Or we have to look for someone else. Jesus was touched to respond to this man's doubt, showing us that when we doubt him, he's not disturbed because he's our teacher. He's our leader. He's our guide. He will teach us and lead us into all things. John was not an unbeliever. He believed in Jesus. So there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt means you are thinking, you have questions, but unbelief means you just reject. You just reject what the Lord is teaching you. You don't want to believe and you make up your mind that you won't believe. And Jesus explained to the disciples to go and tell John, John's messengers, I hear you. I hear you. Look, don't doubt me. The signs that I'm doing, the compassion that I'm showing, the healing, the deliverance, and all those things show that I'm the Messiah. And even you, John, your steadfastness, your standing for values, that puts you in prison in this corrupt world, shows that you are a sterling man. But remember, I've not come to overthrow any government. I've not come to play politics. I've come to save souls. And there's a time for everything. John, I've not left you there because God has not forgotten you. God will reward you at the right time. So child of God, take heart, take faith. No matter how difficult it is, then to God in prayer. As a hymn writer will say, what a friend we have in Jesus. Then he asks, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not take it to the Lord in prayer. But in Luke chapter 7, we see another story, the story of a sinful woman. In this case, Jesus responds to faith. It is one of those puzzling chapters. You see, Jesus is showing us his compassion. Like I said this chapter talks about the compassion, Jesus' feeling for people. Jesus came to look for sinners and to save them. Or Jesus, let's say in modern terms, came to look for people who are messed up. So he can correct them. Jesus came to look for sick people so he can heal them. He did not only accept, therefore, the invitation of those who were good and righteous. He did not only go to church to go and worship in the synagogue, but he was also willing to go to people's homes and be with them if they invite him. Because, you see, if you want to fish, you go where the fishes are. So a man called Simon invited Jesus. Well, whether he was sincere or not, he just decided to go. And when he went, what happened? When Jesus went, something else happened. A big man has invited Jesus. He's going, walking to his place, 
and other people saw him. Then we find the story of somebody we may choose to call a gate crasher. Read from Luke chapter 7 from verse 36 to 38. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the house of this Pharisee and sat at table. And a woman in the town who was a known sinner found Jesus sitting at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. Wow. Let's put this in the context. It was traditional or customary in that day for outsiders to just hover around where there's a great party. We call them today gate crashes. They come to parties. This woman came in. She wasn't invited. Well, but she came in. Jewish rabbis, as Jesus was supposed to be, did not even speak to women in public and they would not eat with them in public. So a woman of this type was not welcome in the house of Simon the Pharisee at all. But she decided to come in. Well, Simon may have known something about Jesus, so he wasn't about to embarrass himself by sucking this woman. But to make matters worse, Jesus admitted the courtesies that this woman was doling out on him. The woman came, sat, then began to go through some drama. You see, weeping on his leg and just wiping it with her hair. Remarkable. I mean, incredible. She's doing these things in public, just weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, wiping it with her hair, a woman's hair. You can imagine. And then, an expensive gift of oil poured on his feet. Remarkable. What is it that would motivate the woman to do this? Why? What, 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 what is she looking for? Certainly it wasn't an application. It wasn't a solicitation for something. I mean, she must have been carrying some burden. This woman. But, look, Simon, was embarrassed, both for himself and for his guest. And he was just thinking, who is this? Jesus, what trouble have I brought on myself? People will leave here and think Simon blew it. People had been invited. People had come. People came to hear Jesus because he was supposed to be a great prophet. So here is Simon talking to himself. If he's such a great prophet, then... He must know that this woman is a sinful woman. This woman must be a fraud. This woman is really terrible. And he's thinking about all of these things. And Jesus can see from his eyes and can read in his spirit. He can see all of these things. My friend, that's the Lord we serve. David said a long time ago, before a word is formed in my mouth, he already, he already knows it. Look. Our God knows everything. He knows our heart. He knows our spirit. He knows whatever we are thinking. He knows whatever we are planning. Nobody can run away from God. So Jesus decided 
in verses 39 to 43, to tell Simon a parable. See, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, we call it soliloquizing. He was saying to himself, thinking to himself, this man, that's Jesus, he now calls him this man. If he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is, who is touching him. She is a sinner. How? A terrible sinner touching him. He says, reply to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. Then Jesus told the parable. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them would love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly. He told him. What is Jesus saying here? He read Simon's mind, just like he continues to read you and I, our thoughts, our mind, our action, our behavior, our motivation. So he said, look, two people, they owe one, they owe somebody. One of them owes 500,000 cities. The other one owes 50,000 and decides to forgive them both. Who do you think will feel more grateful? As if they even knew that they both owed the man. So, of course, the man who was forgiving more. So, he was implying, if I may choose, that you think, or Jesus knows that this woman owes a lot. Simon owes a little. That is his level of thinking. Who do you think will forgive more? Of course, the one who owed more, who had been forgiving more. You are right. You are right. You are right. You see, but Jesus was aiming at something, and you and I must not miss the lesson. He was trying to teach Simon that he's trying to teach us even now as we seek to be his disciples. Remember, we are talking about the compassionate Jesus, the one who wants us to be like him, the one we worship our Lord, the one we pay respect to in this period of Lent. What is it that is going on here? Jesus was dealing with Simon. He was telling him, Simon, your real problem is blindness. You, Simon, you can see this woman's sin. Her sins are outward. You know her. You call her a sinner. Jesus is saying it is easy for you to label her she's a sinner. You can see it. Why? Maybe because she's a prostitute, because of the way she dresses. It's easy for us to say who a sinner is. They receive bribes. They don't go to church. They are armed robbers. They are prostitutes. They are liars. They are pedophiles. It is easy for us to say all these things about people because they are sinners certified and confirmed either by the law or by society or those of us who think we know them. But the parable that Jesus is giving here, the parable doesn't deal with the amount of sin in a person's life, but the awareness of the sin that is in the person's heart. How much sin must a person commit to be a sinner? How much sin? Well, how much sin should you commit to be a sinner? 
The Bible defines sin as anything that you do. It says even if you know what is right and you don't do it to you, it is sin. There are sins of the spirit and there are sins of the flesh. There are sins of what we do called sins of omission and sins of commission. Of commission. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, completing our sanctification in the fear of the Lord. Since impurity of the flesh and the spirit, this woman, her sins were known because they are sins of the flesh. We know them. Just like we, we think we know them today. They are a liar. They are gossip. They are garulos. But Simon's sins were hidden because they were sins of the spirit, sins of pride, feeling better than others, sins of greed. They are inside us. The things that work inside us that nobody knows, but God knows. And as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as God is concerned, both are sinners. Both of them, the woman and Simon, were bankrupt. They could not pay for their sins. Simon could not justify himself before God. And the woman cannot justify herself before God. They both needed the forgiveness of Christ. We all need the forgiveness of Christ. As he says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even those who have, who have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are not born and bound in sin, but we still commit acts of sin and we need to repent. But sometimes we see ourselves as so righteous and just mean to blast others and condemn them and write them off. Jesus is saying, set yourself. So, Simon's problem he was not only blind to himself, but he was blind to the woman and to his honored guest that he had, that this is the man who can search him. This is the man who can forgive his sins. This is the one who is truly the Lord, the Savior, who must be worshipped. My dear listening friend, deep words, deep words of Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who wants us to come to him. Now, Jesus goes ahead and forgives the woman. Read that from verses 44 to 50. I'll just read it and then we'll continue to expand it with the time we have. After he told the parable, Simon gave the right answer. Yes, the one who has been forgiven much, I suppose. Let me read that again from verse 44. i read 44 to 49. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. 
Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Now look at the commentary, verse 49. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, Woman, the sins are forgiven. Here's our Lord, our controversial Lord. You see, one of the things that the gospel writers do, if you can read into this, that they try to point out to us that Jesus' death was not an accident. There were things that he said, there were things that he did, and the only logical thing that could have happened was that you'll be killed, you'll be hated, because, look, he's doing this in public. Simon was well-connected. He was a Pharisee. There were other Pharisees there, the religious establishment, the big people were there. The bishop, the pastors, the deacons who knew the Lord, they were there. And here is Jesus. They know who a sinner is. Certified sinner. She's there. She has walked into their midst. She should never have been there. But you, what an embarrassment. You're the rabbi. You claim you're a rabbi. You're a prophet. We are even trying to give you a hearing. And you tell us this parable. And you go on. So Jesus is telling them, this woman was guilty of sins of commission. But Simon, you are guilty of the sins of omission. And I'm telling you, this woman, her sins will be forgiven. <laughs> what did Jesus mean? There are two things we must take into consideration as we try to interpret what Jesus is saying. First, Jesus is not saying that this woman was saved by her tears and her gift. No. That's not true. It wasn't her tears and her gift that saved her. Jesus may declare that it was her faith, her faith alone that saved her. In Luke chapter 7 verse 50, And he said to her, Woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's a woman who knows her sins, who somehow perceived in her spirit, even before the cross, that is the one who can forgive me. Here's the one who senses that it is only God who can forgive her. Beloved, no amount of good works can pay for our salvation. Jesus may declare that it was her faith alone that saved her. Secondly, we should not think that lost sinners are saved by love. That's either their love for God or God's love for them. Yes, it's good to love God. God loves the whole world, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yet, take note of this. The whole world is not saved. God loves the whole world, but is not saved. Something else must happen. Say, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what's the point? Grace is love that pays a price. And that price was the death of the Son of God on the cross. That's what I'm saying, that in the Lent, the season in which we live, we, might, we shouldn't just be emotional that Jesus, Jesus is our Lord, He loves us, we are praying, we are fasting, we are doing all of these things. We must remember that first, we must have faith in Him. But secondly, we love Him because He died to pay the price 
for us. What is happening here? Jesus did not reject either the woman's tears or her gift of ointment because these were the evidence that she loved Jesus. As James would say, faith without works is dead. She had faith in Jesus and so she was showing it by what she was doing. We are not saved by faith plus works, but we are saved by a faith that leads to works. Show me your faith by the things that you do. There are people who say they love God, they love Jesus, they'll come to church, they'll cry, they'll pray, they'll fast, they'll do all kinds of things. But they don't give their tithe, they don't witness to anybody, they don't show love to people outside their faith community, they are nothing. They are just there. My friend, what is your good works that you are doing? The two are the size of the same coin, of the same note. Faith in Jesus plus the works that you do. This anonymous woman shows us something. She teaches us something. The interesting thing is that she's not even named, but she shows us what we are clearly taught in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. A very powerful thing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You have faith, but your love shows it. Your love for Jesus, your love for humanity, your love for Jesus so much, so much, so that you hate the sins of the world. You are interceding. You are witnessing about it. You are talking to people to be coming to Christ. How did she get it? She got it because she was so aware of her sins, but she was also aware of a Savior. And she had to just dramatize it. See, the Bible is clear that some of the things that happened, some of the things that are recorded, some of the things that are commended by Jesus are things that we must copy. We must copy them. We must copy them. We must copy them. We must learn to love and show it, not pay only lip service. Then, boom, something else happened. Because of all that she did, she didn't care who was there in public. She did all of this. She just told her, your sins that are many are forgiven. Wow. This woman probably left there on cloud nine, as we say, so excited, walking back home, rejoicing and singing and clapping and telling everybody and feeling that she now can face the future unafraid. Her bondages have been gone. The shackle of the devil has been broken in her life. She now can now go and worship her God. How did she know that her sins have been forgiven? Well, she knew because Jesus told her, Jesus told her that your sins, your many sins, have been forgiven. And God tells you and I in his word today that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come, let us discuss this together. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are red like scarlet, they will become white as snow. They, they are red as crimson. They'll be like who? God still invites you and I today to come to him. No matter how sinful we feel, 
and you forgive us our sins. Will you come to him? Lord, touch us. Lord, heal us. Lord, help us to live for you. And may your words fall on fruitful ground and yield unto eternity. Amen. This has been the radio broadcast by Calvary Baptist Church with Reverend Dr. Fred Digby, our senior pastor. We hope this message blessed you. Be sure to join us, God willing, next week, the same time and station. We are in Adabraka, opposite Mr. Big's restaurant, near the Kwame Nkrumah Interchange. Also in Shiashi, across the motorway from the Accra Mall and Botiano. Call us on 0243-690-485 or 0302-231-854. Contact us on WhatsApp at 0200-181-680. Visit us online at www.calvarybaptistgh.org Write to us Calvary Baptist Ghana at yahoo.com